Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. Last week, we started a series called Body and Soul. And here's what's been on my heart. Um, In our current culture, day, age that we're living in, um, the issues surrounding gender and sexuality are very much in our faces constantly. Um, The church really doesn't talk about it that much, but when you read the New Testament, almost every epistle to the church talks about sexual immorality and all the other things surrounding that issue. I felt like it would be faithful of us to talk about it in a very clear and a very compassionate way as we look at gender and sexuality. So last Sunday, we started talking about gender. And if you missed that one, you can find it online. You can find it on our website, on our social media, uh, our podcast. You can, you can pick that up there. I, it might help you. Uh, this week, I want to talk about sexuality. And we're going to look at sexual immorality. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, if you have a device that you read the Bible, Bible on. You want to go there with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I said this last week. I'll say it again. Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. I I want to just kind of couch this whole discussion with this story from the life of Jesus. And it comes from Luke 5. Uh, Jesus is calling his disciples. He calls someone named Matthew or Levi. Matthew or Levi is his name. He was a tax collector. And if you know anything about tax collectors at that time period, they were despised by Jewish people because they were working for collecting money for their Roman overlords. Okay? However, Romans looked down upon them as well because they were Jewish. So these were people who were very marginalized uh, because of their, you know, their chosen occupation. And in some way, they felt rejected by everyone. And so Matthew, who has this group of friends that have all probably fit into the same category socially that he's in, are having a party at his house, and Jesus is the honored guest. And the Pharisees walk past, and they look in the window, and they see Jesus eating with, their words, tax collectors and sinners or notorious sinners. Why does your rabbi, why do you and your rabbi eat with these people? And Jesus looks at them and says, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous. Now, you and I know what happened there is that Jesus is saying something that would be indicting to the Pharisees, but they didn't realize their unrighteousness, right? They, they couldn't see that they were sick. All they could see was that he's hanging out with these people that we all reject. And what I love about the story is that the, the, the tax collectors and sinners, they saw Jesus as other than these re- religious people that were rejecting him. Okay? 
And the religious people saw Jesus as other than all these other people that he's hanging out with. And as we, if we're going to follow Jesus faithfully, you and I are going to have to live in the tension that Jesus lives in. Does that make sense? Jesus was both accepted and rejected by both camps. I mean, imagine being at the table and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And you have two emotions. You're like, stick it to the man, Jesus. Like you're standing up, like way to go. And then you're like, but we're sick, right? And he's in the tension. And that's the tension that I think we need to step into together as followers of Jesus. So with that said, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And here's the thing. This is not an a, um, a anti-LGBTQ plus sermon. Okay? We're going to read a passage that is going to step on everyone's toes in the entire room. Why offend one group when we can just offend everyone? <laughs> Amen? And that's exactly how the Bible talks about this, by the way. All right? There's nothing going to be mean, demeaning, condemning about what we talk about today. Okay? I want you to know we have very, very, very good news. And it's found in Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to read uh, starting in verse 7. I have it on the screen for you. If you want to follow, if you have it in your Bible, follow along with me. As it is, to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to brothers and sisters. So Paul is talking about one particular issue in which Christians are behaving badly, okay? They're suing each other. They're taking each other to court. And so now he's going to begin to expand that to other categories as well. Here's what he says. Don't you know? that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me. By the way, I think they're quoting one of Paul's teachings to say like, you know, they're taking his words and they're twisting him. He quotes them back. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh. 
but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. This is God's word. So here we have Paul. He's talking about Christians behaving badly in all kinds of ways, and he just kind of hits them all, right, in this one section. And then he begins to kind of hone in just a little bit deeper on sexual immorality. Now, this morning, that's what we're talking about, sexual immorality. And so I'm going to focus on that, but I just want you to know that he gives a whole list. And one of the, um, I think, the pushbacks against Christians is that we would take one issue and, and we might pick, well, let's, let's talk about LGBTQ and that's going to be the issue. And, you know, in your church, you guys talk about this issue, but then there's people that are gossiping and, and they're sleeping around, they're getting drunk on the weekend, they're all this kind of stuff, but you don't ever talk about that. You only talk about this. And here's what I would say. If that's the case they're right. And shame on us. Because Paul, he lists nine things. I mean, the, the list is pretty comprehensive, I feel like. Sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive, swindlers, Nine things, and three of them are overtly sexual sins. One of them is, I think, is connected, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But this is important for us to understand, is that Paul is giving a whole comprehensive list, and we need to have a standard that is consistent with the scripture, which means we don't hear the pushback and say, you're right, you know, forget the whole list. You know, Paul's saying, like, the whole list matters to God. All of it. Amen? You there? Okay. So let's talk about the three overtly sexual sins and the one that I think is connected. And here's what I think Paul is, is trying to tell them. And it's my first point. To authentically follow Christ is to embrace God's standard for sexuality. I think I have that on a slide, James. To authentically follow Christ is to embrace God's standard of sexuality. Now, let's just talk about the current standards of our day for sexuality. Here's what I think the current standard is. You can disagree. Here's what I think it is. Consensual. Preferably monogamous. Right? Consensual and preferably monogamous. I think that's where the bar is culturally right now. But... Let's look at the standards that are given to us in this passage. The, the first thing, uh, the first term, he says, no sexually immoral people. That Greek word is the, the word porneia, and it, it's, it's kind of a catch-all term that talks about all types of sexual immorality. 
In Acts chapter 15, we have these, uh, these uh, apostles that have come back to the apostles at the mothership in Jerusalem, and they've been out spreading the gospel, starting churches, and what's happening is this Jewish-centric movement of Christianity is now bringing in all these Gentiles, and they're mixing Jewish and Gentile people together, and it's causing all kinds of problems. One of the problems is that Jewish teachers are saying, look, you guys have to be circumcised, you've got to follow all the Mosaic law, and believe in Jesus, and then you can be a Christian. To which Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. It's by grace, through faith, apart from works. But they bring it back to the council, and they say, here's what's going on. The council talks, and here's what the council says. Look, we feel like it is the Holy Spirit, and we uh, agree, are saying have nothing to do with this, this idol worship stuff and all the food connected to idol worship. Right? Um, don't, don't eat foods with blood in it and that are strangled that are going to be offensive to your Jewish brothers and sisters. Oh, and the other thing, abstain from sexual immorality. And it's the same word, porneia, which means that Gentiles basically had one rule. Abstain from sexual immorality, okay? So th that's the level of importance that these apostles are putting on this word and this understanding. So here's the question, where did they get their definition of sexual immorality? I mean, as they're saying it, what's their reference point? Well, for them, it would be from the law of Moses, specifically in Leviticus chapter 20. I'm not going to read it because it would take us to a PG-13 rating today, okay? And I'm trying to keep it PG, all right? But you can go home and you can read the whole list. And I would just say, you're going to read the whole list and be like, yeah, all that's bad. We shouldn't do that, okay? And I'll just give you a summary of the list. And it includes all types of incest, Adultery, bestiality, and homosexual behavior. It covers all of that, okay? And all of them had very severe consequences for the people that were living under the law. And it, some of it was like death penalty. Some of it was like they must be, you know, ostracized from your community. And there was one that was detestable to the Lord, and it was homosexual behavior. So this is what they're saying. When they say the word sexual immorality, this is what they have in their mind. The second word that he uses on the list is the word adulterers, okay? And what we think of when we think of the word adultery is we think of violating the monogamous sexual fidelity within a marriage. That's what we think of, right? But what they were saying when they were using that term is it was all extramarital sex, all of it. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's saying, you have heard it said, and then he'd say, but I say, you know, so you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say, if you have anger in your heart, you've murdered already. And he gets to sexual immorality. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, everyone, gets, get, get this, who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with, with her in his heart. 
Ladies, you can turn that around to apply to yourselves. Whoa. So Jesus is saying that if you, if you see, if you have an attraction and you give yourself the, the mental uh, okay to try that on, to fantasize, you have committed adultery. Wow. That would mean that all pornography is considered sexual immorality. So the, the third one, males who have sex with males, that would obviously be homosexuality, both active and passive participants. And now you're thinking, okay, you know, that's whatever, that was like a, a this is an argument of progressive Christianity. That was like a, a forced arrangement, right? I mean, that, that's what they're talking about, a forced arrangement. Well, well, let's look elsewhere. Romans chapter 1, 24 through 27. I think I have this on the screen for you guys. Here's what Paul says about this. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left, um, the men, where am I? The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. So what he did is he just covered a whole category of homosexual behavior and said, this is not of God, right? This is sinful. Now I know that is super uncool to say in the pulpit on a Sunday morning. Next month is Pride Month. Everywhere we go, People are going to be emblazoning different symbols and rainbows just to say, like, hey, we support you guys, right? But the word of God is telling us something. And, and here's, here's the thing. is In progressive Christianity, there's a word that's called affirming, which means we affirm all sexuality, all lifestyle choices. We affirm them all as being uh, sanctified and acceptable by, by God as long as they're consensual and monogamous. And the thing is that a growing number of, of people in that camp are now beginning to admit that we cannot make the Bible fit in that anymore. So what, we're, what has to be true is that the Bible is just outdated. It's just outdated. Okay? Which means the foundation of our faith is a slippery slope. It's like, what else is outdated in here? It's like, well, let's just throw this out completely. So, we have sexually immoral. We have adulterers. We have males who have sex with males. And the last one is not overt, but I'll just mention it, idolaters. In this time period, um, cult worship had these sexually immoral connotations to it. Um, Janeki, uh, you, you mentioned this as well, that there were, um, in your Hindu background, that, that the gods were angry, that they would, they would bring curses, right? So in this time period, you've probably heard of Baal worship, you've heard of Molech, that 
that the, the, those were gods of fertility. And when you had a dry season, I mean, that means that your plants are growing, you may not have food to eat, your, your, your animals need to be watered, right? So this was very, very serious. And so they thought what was happening is that the God is asleep. Baal's asleep, Molech's asleep. And the way that we awaken them is through blood, blood sacrifices. If you remember uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? And they're dancing around and they're cutting themselves and they're sacrificing an animal because they're trying to wake up Baal. It's also child sacrifice, Molech, right? They, they thought if we would sacrifice our child, then he'll wake up and the rain will come. And unfortunately, there was sexual immorality and there was cult prostitution that was happening at that time period. And so these people are all coming out of that background. And he's saying, look, all this is wrong. All this is wrong. See, in our day, our current sexual practices are, are not worshiping idols of fertility, but, but we're worshiping idols of identity. We, we, we don't sacrifice children on altars, I don't think. Maybe it's happening somewhere in our nation in some terrible way. But we do sacrifice children on the altar of abortion because I'm just not ready. I, I, I haven't figured my life out yet. I know. These are touchy issues. And here's what I also know is that these are touching your life. Maybe you're struggling with these very issues. Maybe, maybe someone that you love so much is struggling with the same issues. I just want you to know, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to tell you, like, shame on you. I'm here to say, look, this is the word of God, and God has something good to say to us about these things in our life. So, we have these categories that he gives us. We have um, people who are searching, people who are trying to figure themselves out, people who are trying on things, right? There's the, the coming of age of adulthood where you begin to experiment with things like sexuality. There's men who are proving or trying to prove their masculinity through sexual encounters. There are women uh, trying to prove beauty through sexual attractiveness, there's the LGBTQ movement trying to embrace an identity. And, and what I'm just saying is that all of these are really a form of idolatry in our hearts. All of them. And so, two times he uses this phrase, will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Bible scholars, what does it mean? What's he saying? The people, by the way, it's not about people who just have struggled with that in the past, people who have, have had a weak moment in the past. He's not talking about, he's saying, if you're going to say, I follow Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and then continue in that same pathway, what he's saying is like, that's not it. And to not inherit the kingdom of God simply means eternal condemnation and judgment in hell. That's what he's saying. It's to say, um, it's to reject the king and thus to reject the inheritance of the kingdom. In another place, um, there's the, um, 
the story of Jacob and Esau. And Esau comes in from the field and his appetite is just burning. He's so hungry. Jacob's got a bowl of stew. And he offers him a bowl of stew, but he says, give me your birthright. And the New Testament applies that story to sexual immorality and it says this, do not trade your birthright for a bowl of stew. Meaning your appetites might be raging and you think, oh, I just, I need this right now. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Do not trade your birthright for a bowl of stew. To authentically follow Christ is to embrace God's standard for sexuality. Now, I just want you to just imagine with me for a minute a world without sexual sin. Just, just sort of imagine the far-reaching implications of sexual sin in our society today. I don't think you will find one positive, objective, social metric that you would say, things are so much better now because people are doing whatever they want to do. I'm serious. I mean, if you think about um, the effects of abortion, not only does a child die, but did you know that women who go through that oftentimes are plagued with emotional and mental issues for the rest of their lives? Some of you might have that story. There's no condemnation here. Our, pol our political parties would have to find new things to fight about because abortion would cease to exist. Family drama, family trauma would be significantly decreased. Divorce rates would be significantly decreased. Poverty would be significantly decreased. Fatherlessness would be significantly decreased. By the way, I was just doing some reading and some studying and some research this week, and, and fatherlessness is the greatest indicator of criminal activity in the future greater than poverty. Did you know that? 42% of our kids today are born in situations where they don't have uh, both parents in the household right now. I know there's all kinds of reasons for that, right? But I'm just saying that would significantly decrease if sexual sin did not exist. Things like trafficking and prostitution would end. Cartels would lose power and money. And no child would have to go through the horrors of sexual abuse if there was no sexual sin. And just imagine the compounding over generations of generations of generations. I was abused, right? Now I feel broken. 90% of people who are abused were abused when they were children. It's like there's just this ripple effect over time. And I found an article, and, and this guy was studying mass shootings, and he's saying, look, there's, there are some correlations between um, fatherlessness and mass shootings and all kinds of other things. It's kind of mind-blowing to think about what's happening with the sexual revolution and the impact on our society. Can you imagine a world without sexual sin? I don't know that we can. Here's the second thing I want us to say. Second, sexual sins, and this is what Paul's saying, are not greater than other sins, but they do have unique consequences. Okay? 
So what I'm not doing today is saying like, well, these are the real bad ones over here. These are okay. Like, we'll just turn a blind eye to that. But you know, stay away from these. No, no, no. All of these, okay, are equally have moral consequences. They have spiritual consequences. They have relational, familial, communal consequences. All of our sins do. But Paul says something unique about our sexual sins and the impact they have. And here's what he says in verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. And here's, here's the phrase. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Now, I want to say this. And I... I mean, I don't have time to go into all the good things the Bible says about sexuality. Song of Solomon. Anyone ever read that before, Song of Solomon? Yeah. It's rated R, okay? Well, there's no children's curriculum about Song of Solomon back here at Renaissance Church, right? That's not in the plan. There's, um, your kid's Bible probably doesn't have that even in there, right? No illustrations will be drawn of that, of that book of the Bible, okay, right? It's just like, I mean, Proverbs chapter 5. Right? There's, the point is, sexuality is good. It was made by God. It's a gift to you. And he gave all of us nerve endings, a lot of nerve endings, special places for a special reason that we could be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Praise Jesus. All the married people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. It's a good thing. It wasn't man's idea. The devil can't create anything. He can only pervert what God has already made. He can only twist it, okay? It's a good thing. And I love how um, Paul kind of, he, he talks about this integration of body and soul, and, and he kind of corrects some statements, right? Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's that dualism that we talked about last week where it's like, well, my soul is with Jesus, but my body is over here. He's like, no, no, that's, that's dualistic, right? It, there's, a, there's an integration of body and soul. And he gives these redemptive purposes and meaning to our bodies. He says, look, your appetites will be done away with, but your bodies will be raised. Did you know that? That when you die, right, there's going to come a point in God's, God's timeline when we, when we have this the resurrection of the dead, and we will be in our resurrected, glorified bodies. Your, your body has a purpose beyond just the number of years that God gives you here. That our, our bodies are meant for the Lord and that they matter. Like literally everything about you is meant for the Lord. He says our bodies, not just our souls, are a part of Christ's body. I don't even know what that means. There's mystery around that. Like, my body is a part of Christ's body. He says, our bodies are not our own, but get this, this is beautiful, but a temple of the Holy Spirit. That your physical body is the location point, just like, just like in Jerusalem where the temple was. Like that was the location point where the presence of God dwelt in glory, and they could go in, and they could pray, and all those kinds of things. Like, no, no, that's what's happening on the inside of you through Christ. Wow. It's redemptive. It's beautiful. 
And it's within this dignified and integrated truth of body and soul that Paul frames these unique consequences of sin, to sin against our own body. There are consequences that come with that. Now, here's what I know what you're probably thinking as modern people. I mean, haven't we kind of fixed all the consequences to sin? With medicine and antibiotics and contraception and abortion pills that you can take? Like, haven't we kind of done away with all the consequences? And here's what I think Paul is saying is like, um, no, because he doesn't talk about any of those things. What does Paul talk about? Verse 16, he uses uh, a point of prostitution. He says, don't you know that you will be one body? And then he quotes Genesis we read last week. The two will become one flesh. And what he's saying is that you and I were designed by God to bond with our spouse in marriage through the sexuality that God gives to us. And if we're bonding with just everyone out there, all those people, all those encounters, he said, you're, you're doing damage to your own body. It's like if, if you were to take um, you know, cardboard and glue it together and then rip it apart and do that about like 2,000 times, he's like, this is what you're doing to your body, to your soul, when you're engaging in all these sexual immoral things. It's just like... You're ripping, you're leaving pieces of yourself everywhere and pieces of other people are kind of sticking to you. It has unique consequences. Um, We have a a little illustration that we use in our family with our boys when we talk about sexuality. And you've probably heard this before, right? Um, So if you have a, do you have a fireplace in your house? Some of you, yeah, have a fireplace? Um, Here's the beautiful thing. Now, Starting a fire in your home is typically a bad idea, right? Like last night, Casey and I went out to dinner. We left our three of our boys at home. My, old, my oldest one is old enough to watch them, right? I don't want them starting fires. In fact, I'm going to hide the lighters. I'm going to hide the candles. I don't want you to do it. Please, no fires in the home. And if you were to think about, you know, your home, if you're like, hey, let's start a fire in the home, most of the time we'd say, that's a bad idea, right? Unless it's in the fireplace, In the fireplace, this beautiful, wonderful, protected thing, it gives warmth to the house. It's wonderful, right? It just gives you that good feeling in the wintertime when the fire's burning. He's like, no, that's what sexuality in the context that God has created for right there. Oh, beautiful. But if you take that fire and you just move it to the other corner of the room and just watch what happens, it's burning the house down, right? It's the picture of sexuality. Here's the third thing that I think Paul is saying. And this is important. Your sexuality isn't designed to hold the weight of your identity. But Christ offers you an identity strong enough to bear the weight of your identity. These are the two things that I think are mostly entwined with the conversation around sexuality. Identity and authenticity. Identity and authenticity. Identity is figuring out who you are. And if you're trying to figure out who you are, welcome to the club, right? Welcome to the human race. 
Authenticity is being true to who you are. So to figure it out and then be true to it. Those are the issues that I think are most highly contested in our age. There's, um, I, I found a video this week. I was going to show it. I didn't have time to put it together. But it, it, it just talks about how quickly attitudes have changed, specifically around um, same-sex marriage. So I graduated from high school in 1996. That's how old I am, okay? And in 1996, there was a president, Bill Clinton, who was having some other problems in his presidency that had to do with sexual morality. And he signs a bill called DOMA. It was the um, Defense of Marriage Act. So in 1996, and it defines a, a marriage as a, between a man and a woman. Fast forward 2008. How many of you were alive in 2008? Probably all of you were alive in 2008. In California, there was Proposition 8 is passed. In 2008, it defines a marriage as between a man and a woman. In 2015, a Supreme Court decision is made that legalizes same-sex marriage. And from that time period, from 1996 to now, I want to say it was like 64% of Americans said uh, marriage is between a man and a woman only. And then 30-something percent were like, no, it's okay for anyone to be married. Now, that has flip-flopped. So 60-some-odd percent would say, all, you know, it can be anyone, and 30% would say only between a man and a woman. Like, that's how fast things have changed in our culture. So if you're feeling like a little bit sort of turned around, you should be, because things have changed quickly. And here's the thing. There have been centuries of thought and philosophy from the Enlightenment onward that have shaped us, and you probably haven't read all those authors and philosophers and all that kind of stuff. But I'll just give you an example of maybe how it has shaped you. Does anyone remember a movie called Titanic? Yeah. I remember that teenage girls would line up at the theater and they would go see the movie like two, three, sometimes seven or eight times. It was such a hit. And we, we had an irresistible song by Celine Dion, right? Had the little whistle playing. Right? My heart will go on. And it's just like candy. We're just like, oh, this is so good, right? Think about the storyline. Rose. She is a, a woman who's coming of age. She's engaged to be married to a man who's very wealthy. She comes from a family that's very wealthy, but her family's kind of struggling now. She goes on the boat, Titanic, with, this, um, with her fiancé and her mother, and she goes to the ballroom, right, with the dinner and the dinner parties, and this class of people, are, they're shown as like these plastic, two-dimensional, uninteresting people. Right? But then she meets Jack on the deck one day. And she's, you know, she's introduced to this whole life below deck. And those people, they're authentic. They're down to earth. There's a party going on down there. It's celebratory. And everyone accepts everyone. And she just wants to go be a part of that world down below. Right? 
She's caught between social convention and her heart. Right? She's, she's in her heart, by the way, is her psychological self. She's trying to find out who she is. She's trying to find herself. And she's stuck between the social constructs of her class who are oppressive and, you know, they are greedy and self-serving. And here's these people that are so wonderful having this wonderful time below deck. And you remember Jack ultimately saves her, Right? Though he dies because the oppressive societal order is saving the rich at the expense of the lower classes. And here's the moral. To follow your heart, your psychological self, is to truly live. It's to truly love. And to do so, you have to throw off all social constructs. Now, did you know that that's actually Marxism? That's the storyline of Marxism, right? It's Freud took this, and he, he began to expand that your individuality is really your sexuality. Like, that's the, that's the primal urge that's in you. And all of us have been shaped by uh, people like Rousseau, Marx, Freud, Nietzsche, or Darwin, but we don't know it. We're not, cogn- we're not cognizant of it. We're just kind of feeling our way through life based on these kind of storylines that are so intuitively uh, a part of our lives and our culture. So if you take this idea and you apply it to the Judeo-Christian values, it's like those are the people in the ballroom and it's two-dimensional and plastic and insincere. In fact, it's really oppressive because what they're trying to do is take their morals and put them on you and say, you better play by our rules. Right? And, and you, you've got to go below deck. You've got to find your way. Follow your heart and truly live. The thing is, when you get to the other party, what you realize is it's two-dimensional. It's plastic. It says you better play by our rules. And it's oppressive. What I want to say is that like Jesus in between two parties, the gospel message is in between these two worlds. And Jesus is saying, I have an identity for you that's so much better than whatever it is you're pursuing. Last week I talked about authority. The question was, who gets to say? And if you remember, I asked three questions. Who knows me best? Who knows what's best? Who loves me most? The gospel answers every one of those questions with this, Jesus. He knows you best. He knows what's best. He loves you most. I love this verse in verse 11. Some of you used to be like this. Such were some of you. Can I just tell you this? If you were to take this list and say, Chris, where where are you at on that? Guilty. Guilty. I've been sexually immoral. And so I'm in the same boat as everybody else. And I need Jesus. 
I need Jesus to give me an identity that my sexuality can actually follow. Because it's the opposite. He, he, this identity that serves my sexuality is empty, but rather my sexuality is to serve a new identity. Here's what he says. You've been washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Meaning this, he has cleansed you from all the stuff of your past. Nothing that you've ever done is too big for the cross of Jesus Christ. It's big enough to cover all of it. And it's big enough to wash us of whatever we've dealt with. It's big enough to declare us holy sanctified, a place where the Spirit of God can dwell. And it's big enough to declare you in right standing before God, to justify you, that God can look with you, look at you with full acceptance and a smile and open arms and say, come on. It's powerful. Who you are comes from whose you are. People might ask this question as we talk about these issues. Can someone be born with same-sex attraction? You know my answer? I, I'm not a, science has nothing to say about any of this. It's proven nothing. But my answer is yes. Because all of us are born with a sin nature. Okay? And your sin nature might be different. You, you, there, might, there might be something that you're more drawn to, you're more tempted by than other things, right? All of us have that. Okay? I have that. But what Paul's saying is, it doesn't matter what you were born with, you were not born again with this. Okay? All of us. And that speaks to all of us. If we're born again by Jesus, we're not born again in sexual, sexual immorality. We're born again in a new way. So what do we do with this? Let me land this. Um, I remember as a kid, and now that I'm a dad, I see this in my own self, there's a thing called dad voice. Have you ever heard dad voice before? Have you heard that, right? It's like when a child is about to run into a busy street and cars are coming and something comes out of the deepest part of a man and his voice goes like three octaves like lower and like 30 decibels louder. <laughs> it's like, hey! You know, it's like this dad voice kind of thing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. If you have kids, right? And every now and then this comes out. And I think there's this moment in the passage where I feel like dad voice comes out of Paul. And here's what he says. Flee! Run! Run away from this. It's going to harm you. Please don't run out into the street. Please. Right? I, I found this picture of, uh, from a CNN story. And this is a picture of flight. These are Russian soldiers in Ukraine this past week, and they are running as fast as they can away from the Ukrainian soldiers. Why? They don't want to die. And this is, this is the, the heaviness of what Paul is saying around sexual sin that we're like, ah, it's no big deal. Paul's saying with the dad voice, run, flee, Please, don't flirt from it. Flee from it. Right? Don't flirt with this. Flee from it. Don't follow your desires or your heart or some crowd into this. Flee. Run. 
All of us, we do, we have, we will face temptation with sexual immorality. It is so in, 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 in intertwined into our culture that we're, it's going to be in our faces. But Paul says this, please run away. Run away. Take action. Right? When all of your friends at work are watching a show and they're talking about the show and you're like, I want to talk about the show too. And you go try to watch that show and you're like, I cannot watch this and not lust. Here's what I would say. Don't watch the show. Amen? Flee. Run. If you have a struggle and you're like, I don't want to deal with this anymore, but I do. Here's what I would say. That's what the church is for. We're here for each other. You can bring it into the light, and we're not going to judge you, and we're not going to condemn you, because guess what? We've all struggled with the same things, <laughs> okay? In your house church, I guarantee you there are people in that room that you could say, hey, I'm really struggling with something, and I just want to share it with you, and they're not going to be like, oh, gosh, like, remove them from the list, they're going to say, me too. Let's, let's pray and let's, let's text each other this week and let's check in on each other because like, this is serious. We need to run from this. Run from sexual sin. The second thing, here's what I would say. Cave to Christ and not feelings or cultural pressures. There's a lot of pressure inwardly if you're struggling with sexual sin and you just want to cave right into that same old pattern, right? There's that, that pathway is so ingrained in your brain. It's like you've gone down that road so many times. It's just so easy to fall right back into that, right? You're, you're going to want to cave into it. Or on the other end, maybe you're like, you know, thank you, God, I've been delivered. But like, I just feel all this pressure in the culture. Like, I feel like I have to just go and celebrate and support everyone and everything out there. And here's what I would say is you don't. You need to cave into Christ. Why? Why, why would I say that? <laughs> because you don't want to be complicit in someone else not inheriting, inheriting the kingdom of God. It's not kind. It's not loving. It, it's, it's, it's not good. It's not good. And I just want you to remember Jesus at the party. <laughs> That's your place. You're at the party. You're not the religious person ready to beat everyone on the head, but you're at the table with people that need the doctor. And you're to be a reflection, an image, an ambassador of the doctor. So it's not about condemning or hating and you know, all that stuff. It's being like Jesus. Lastly, come to Christ. No one loves you more than Jesus. No one. He paid the highest price for you. He gave his life for you. <laughs> and nothing you've done is bigger than Jesus. So if you're here in this room and you're like, I don't know Jesus. I, I'm, I have struggles and I need help. Here's the offer. Come to Jesus. Come to him. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.